You are now listening to the Here for the Truth podcast, hosted by Joel Rafidi and Eurosimos. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Here for the Truth podcast. I'm Joel Rafidi. I've got my co-host Eurosimos with me here today, but this time something's changed. Something's different. It's our first interview we've recorded after we met in person. Yeah, we have officially met. Last week, Erasmus came down to, to Mexico. It's where I'm staying with my family. And we spent four incredible days together, uh, getting to know each other, um, getting to have, you know, real life and real time connection. Um, so it was a long, long, long time coming, um, but it happened. And what can I say, man? Just grateful, bro. Yeah, same here, man. So good to spend time with you and your fam and have my wife there too. It was, was pretty beautiful. Yeah, Absolutely. We'll divulge into that another time, maybe in a side chat. Uh, we can go mm-hmm. a bit deeper. We got Adam Riva in the house today. Adam Riva is an incredible researcher and documentary filmmaker. Um, he's the founder of Dauntless Dialogue. Go check out dauntlessdialogue.com. Incredible conscious films and research on that website. We dive deep into a number of topics today, um, including the, the origins and nature of evil, um, evil's role in nature itself. Uh, we talk about the correlation between, you know, certain celebrity suicides and human child trafficking. And we get into a very interesting theory um, known as devolution, which some of you may or may not be familiar with. But another incredible conversation, which really we are just privileged to have and, and, and be privy to. Right before we bring Adam on, um, just to like just like to invite Anyone that, you know, wants to support our work and dive deeper into who we are and what we're about, we have our membership community connected to this podcast. It's called Friends of the Truth. Um, You know, our members have incredible conversations in that private Telegram community every single day, amazing community support. And we do three live calls a month uh, with our members as well. And it's super affordable as well. I think it's $39 a month on a monthly plan or $29 a month um, on on a yearly plan. And there's just incredible value to be had if you're someone that resonates with who we are what we're about and you're looking to dive deeper um you know to get education to get knowledge and receive community support all at the same time then it'll be worth the investment for you and we look forward to meeting you should that be the case uh i won't ramble any further thanks for listening thanks for your support without any further ado adam reva all right everybody welcome back this is episode 120 of the Here for the Truth podcast. And we have the incredible Adam Reva with us today. He's an author, documentary filmmaker, and founder of Dauntless Dialogue, a subscription streaming service that publishes original documentaries and series with a focus on analyzing conspiracies, corruption, cover-ups, and suppressed truths. He's the creator of several viral films, including the five-part Devolved series, Co-Venom 19, and Suicided. In 2022, General Michael Flynn endorsed Suicided as another impactful, powerful, and epic film, and he asserted this film will go down in history as one of the most important in human history. Must see. Dawnless Dialogue is a burgeoning platform striving to expose the roots of evil in a palatable way while instilling its audience with hope and inspiration in the fight for truth and freedom. Adam, thanks for being here for the truth. What's up, guys? Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure to be here. Oh man, pleasure to have you. Dude, one way we always like to kick this one off with first-time guests especially is I want to explore your personal hero's journey a little bit. What were some of the major rites of passages 
that you really experienced in your pursuit of truth and really allowed you uh, to, to be and do what you do today? Great question. Let's start with the origin story. <clears throat> yeah, uh, growing up, I just, I, I remember saying to my mother at one point, probably about eight, nine years old, based on what I was observing with the way that culture, specifically in America, generation by generation, decade by decade, was becoming a little bit more libertine. We, you go back to the 1910s, 1920s. Uh, if, if you were going to go out in public, you wore your best attire. You certainly wouldn't show off a lot of skin. Even if you went to the beach, the bathing suits were, they covered most of your body. Obviously, culture uh, it displayed through the media, through movies, through Hollywood. It was just a lot more wholesome. You can look at how the MPAA, the Motion Picture Association of America, has continually just kind of like uh, made a, like made their standards lower. So a PG-13 movie is not what it was 20 years ago. So I remember saying to my mother, like, what happens if this trend doesn't stop? And it was almost like I was at like eight years old foreseeing the great reset. You know what I mean? Like the rock bottom of culture. And she didn't have a good answer. She's like, well, I'm, I'm sure, you know, adults are at the helm of the ship. We're going to just kind of stop at like a comfortable medium and it won't get too crazy. Unfortunately, she was wrong. And here we are. And culture is just so degenerate, so broken. Now, uh, post 9-11, I started to kind of have my wake up. Um, I got heavily inspired and uh, red-pilled by some of the big documentaries at the time. You know, I'm thinking of like Zeitgeist and Chimatica, Esoteric Agenda, um, you know, Jason Burmis's films, Loose Change, uh, Fabled Enemies, all of those. And I was just so inspired because I had just started picking up a camera, started playing around with basic video editing. My, me and my friends were like heavily influenced by Jackass. And so we did a lot of just like crazy, ridiculous shenanigans. And I also felt that there was like this war on the horizon. I couldn't articulate it. Obviously, I didn't know for sure, but it seemed like we were kind of coming upon a momentous time for our generation. And I just knew that I wanted to be a part of that fight. So after 9-11, I started just digging into different conspiracies. And I would say in the early days, about 90% of my focus was on health because I felt like if I can at least conquer the domain of the self, make sure that I, I'm clean, pure, and, and treating my body like a temple, that my mind will be you know, focused and narrow visioned and I'll be able to be the best warrior I could be, right? And from there, you just, you pull on that thread and you find out that there's this revolving door with the regulatory agencies like the FDA, the FTC, the CDC, the ADA, the AMA, et cetera. And you realize that like, there's really no hard line where corruption stops. It bleeds into everything. Everywhere man goes, he brings with him the same kind of tendencies towards the seven deadly sins or uh, selfishness and, and 
everywhere a man goes, there's the potential for, for corruption. And so that then opened me up to kind of the world of politics. Now, from an early age, I kind of, I just, I read a lot about the, the way that our elections were run. And I kind of assumed that they were fraudulent, rigged, whatever. Um, I think 08, I had just turned, my birthday is October 29th. So a few days later, the elections took place. And I was like, I got to at least vote. Even though at that point, I was convinced it didn't really mean much. But I voted just kind of like to go through the motions. And you know, after that, I think the next election, I didn't. The point being, I started to really follow politics closer. And around this time, you know, beginning around like 2010, maybe, I just started to collect notes, just started to compile notes on everything, anything things that interested me, but I, I was really focused on getting to the, the center of corruption. And I, we can get into like what that is later, but I, I really wanted to get into like the core of it. What, what, are the, what are the most important burning topics for the species of, of man on this planet? Like what, if I were to dedicate my life to something, what would that look like? Right? Because it, I think most people have this mindset where it's kind of like, I'm one person, there's 8 billion people, we're told, and it's, it's a big world. How can I affect it? And I've always felt like, well, if you dedicate your life to something, that's the right mindset. You can affect a lot of change. There's 365 days in a year. And uh, you know, if you've got the rest of your life to do that, and that's a lot of time, right? And so I just started to collect notes I think around 2014, um, I started my first, uh, let's call it blog, where I started putting out information on, on my website. And I was writing articles about genetically modified foods. I was writing articles about fluoride, uh, child trafficking. Um, but it, I also was really deeply interested, thanks to, uh, I think, a common mentor of, of ours, Michael Tassar, and I was really influenced to look into philosophy and psychology, again, getting to the roots of evil. And so everything I was writing, it on some level had like at least the, the orientation towards solution, the orientation towards what we could do about it, how we can um, kind of approach it with the right mindset and not be overwhelmed with fear and the kind of the, the scale of the problems. And from there, that website eventually started to transmogrify over time into what would eventually become Dauntless Dialogue. Um, my, my problem is I've just never had a lot of money. I've always been paycheck to paycheck with a lot of my jobs. And so whether I was working two or three jobs at the same time, I, Dauntless Dialogue was always just this side project. And it just got like the minimal amount of my attention. Whereas I was devoting every free minute I had towards research and just kind constantly looking into things. So once I started to kind of create the life that I wanted, where I, I had a bit more time carved out, then I started to really get more into film, developing my craft. And I knew that at some point in the future, which would eventually turn out to be, I think the past three years of this pandemic, the world would become interested in the things that I was interested in. There needed to be a trigger, a catalyst. And I felt like, well, I'm just going to start putting out this information. 
with a focus on making what I call evergreen content, content that's going to be just as relevant 20 years from now as it is today. So there's a plethora of people putting out current events coverage, which is absolutely necessary. I'm not diminishing that. But I wanted to focus more on content that would be long lasting, like I said, relevant 20 years from now, maybe 100 years from now. And that's kind of what I I started to devote myself to. And Dauntless Dialogue kind of emerged out of that, that ball of clay. And we've now put together a solid team. And what we're really trying to do over there is, is obsolesce the streaming platforms of the kind of Bernaysian propaganda that is just so prolific nowadays. Obviously, Netflix, Hulu, HBO, Disney, they're all just degenerate at best, uh, misleading. And I knew that, again, there would be this growing interest as personal liberties, as the structure of society was just kind of re-engineered by the architects of control. I knew that there would be this calling for content that awakened the spirit of the individual, um, reminded us of, of why freedom is important, reminded us to stay ever vigilant on, on the, the, the quest for truth. And what we've done, I think, is, is build a pretty good library of professional production value, impeccable research. We try our best. And, and building that slowly but surely has, I think, drawn now in a, a very loyal crowd and, and we're starting to kind of hit our stride. It's amazing intro, man. I love it. I want to actually, I just want to go back real quickly. Like, what was it in you as, as an eight-year-old? Like, was it how you were raised that allowed you to have that insight and observe what was going on? I think we all have a spark of divinity. Um, it's how, how closely you listen to it. So I, I don't know at eight, honestly, I don't know at eight. I, I, yes, I had a great childhood and I feel that anyone who has a good childhood has this noblesse oblige to really pay it forward and to carry that torch and to fight for those who didn't have good childhoods. Yeah. As, a, as a quick sidebar, I just want to stress the importance of, of childhood. Really, everything I do boils down to childhood um, in one way, shape or form or another. And, and I'm going to continue to hum on that the architects of control understand this. The social engineers fundamentally understand that childhood is where our orientation of the world, our behaviors, our um, our thought processes, our empathy, our abstract reasoning, so many different things that make us beautifully unique animals on this planet, th- those are all traced back to childhood, right? The bigger the trauma in childhood, the, the longer lasting the effects will be. And that's how they're building their communist, globalist, totalitarian nightmare. It's all through the infliction of trauma for children. And I, I don't think your audience needs me to go deeper into that. It's, it's abundantly clear. Um, but later, so I don't know about eight years old, but later on, I'd say starting around like 16, 17, uh, I have to say I, I was... I was very interested in extraterrestrials my whole life. My mother got me books when I was young on like ufology, supernatural phenomena, all that kind of cool stuff. And so I'd, I've always had like an open door to the unexplained in my mind, which I think has served me well in this, in this research of kind of like discovering the matrix. Um, 
so by the time I was like 16 or 17, I had just kind of studied so <laughs> I don't know if you can hear my daughter knocking on the yeah. door. Sorry, guys. Uh, all good. Um, sh- uh, by the time I was about 16 or 17, I started to routinely leave my house at night and go on these night hikes. Um, you're awesome. You, you know that Jersey has awesome hiking. And so I would go up to the tops of these mountains. I would find the best vantage point where I had the kind of best view of the night sky. And I would meditate with kind of like that, I don't know, like that kind of Dr. Stephen Greer, um, C. SETI, uh, close, uh, what is it? I forget the acronym, but it's basically establishing some kind of connection with extraterrestrials. I'm, I don't know if I'm losing half of your audience now, but no, no worries. I, we've had, we've I, had some episodes on these subjects from different points of views so and no worries. Well, good. All I can say is that I would routinely go out at night. I would go up to the tops of these mountains. I would just meditate with like the most open heart that I could and ask to be made into an instrument for peace, love, truth, and beauty. I, I was raised Roman Catholic, um, but I don't identify as that now, but I've always had a close relationship with the creator and I've always begged to just be made into a vessel for, for good. And so that's the best answer I can give you is like, I just always really desperately wanted to be used in this war and um, for good and evil. And I also think that when you open your heart and allow your life to kind of be driven by that, you'll find yourself in, in very interesting situations. So throughout my whole life, we don't have to go into it in this episode, or maybe we will, I don't know. Um, I found myself in the presence of certain people or in the, in the right place at the right time. I've, I've just had a really lucky, fortunate life where doors have been opened for me in ways that I can't explain with any other word than it just feels guided. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear you there, man. I mean, I, I mean, we have a similar, I guess, I wouldn't say road, but just even being from Jersey and even just getting started in this process through 9-11 and health. Health is my background as well. Uh, it's just, yeah, really cool to hear, man, your story. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Yeah, for sure. You, you mentioned earlier that like there was a turning point not too long ago where the world became interested in this kind of content. And like that feels very like obviously universal for a lot many people in our situation um, that are putting out this, this kind of content. But, you know, I just, I just remember the feeling, you know, it was like talking into, a, into an abyss before and it was like shouting into a black hole. Then all of a sudden it's like, you know, there was, there was an audience. There was, there was, there was, there was, there was a demand. Like we all became activated, so to speak, at like the same time to just step up um, and really walk these authentic paths. And it's like, yeah, that, 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 that shift, you know, that to me, that was, that was divinity. You know, it's like, it's, it's hard to put into words and hard to explain. Like, I'm so freaking grateful for what happened in 2020 because I've never experienced more authenticity and like being able to, as, as a creative imaginative being, to do what I do 
and to be able to see the mountain very clearly that's reflective of what I've always kind of been guided towards inherently in my own life as well. Um, so just kind of interesting to to note that turning point and to really highlight that. Yeah. And also just in terms of even like the people you've connected with or we've connected with over the last um, three years, you know, I mean, this podcast wouldn't exist. I don't think if everything um, went down differently, you know, and talk about being guided, just even how we met, how we connected and all of that is just, and there has to be, you know, some guiding force, this intelligence. It's just beautiful, man. I mean, this, the, I don't know. I'm super, super grateful. I'm going to say something that um, it, it might be controversial. It's, it's my conclusion. And uh, it's, I think that the dark occultists that we're all opposing, that we all just, you know, want to see brought to justice right now. I do think that on some level, they do serve a purpose on this planet fundamentally i'm opposed to everything they're doing i just want to make that abundantly clear in case in case you haven't seen my work i i put every drop of blood sweat and tears into fighting them having said that i do think that there is a or a um what's it called hormetic uh, response so mm-hmm. if i want to get stronger i go to the gym i lift up heavy weights and then they make my muscles stronger uh same thing could be said about saunas or ice baths but beyond the physicality, I think that's the same thing with our psychology. And I think that we are, as a species, kind of like a group organism. And the default nature of, of the human condition is, is, unfortunately, it's kind of like the path of least resistance, which is often uh, laziness or... Um, you know, not, not pursuing truth and not pursuing some of these rigorous things that take a lot of effort, a lot of discernment, a lot of discipline, a lot of all of the above. And so I think if we were left to our own devices, I do think that we would have a much more abundant, prosperous society. No doubt, no question. Without all of the thousands and thousands of years of, of wars and propaganda and, and slavery and manipulation from the the unseen hand, we would be in a much better place. But I, I do think that on some level, there has to be a catalyst, a, a, some sort of adversity that we oppose that strengthens us. And as a species, there has to be some kind of thing that we face together, something that's going to unify us, something that's going to kind of bring about a, a, a better world through strengthening our, our psychology by, by rediscovering the principles of freedom and truth. And I wish it didn't have to be that way. Um, I, th- this is just, this is just opining on abstracts, right? I, as I've said a thousand times, I, I fundamentally oppose everything they're doing, but there, I think, uh, Tessarion says, uh, um, evil has within it the seeds of its own destruction. Boom. You were mouthing it as I was saying it. That's yeah, yeah, awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Evil has within it the seeds of its own destruction. And, you know, if you look at like, if I could just go on a tangent, you look at the internet, right? It's a very new technology on this planet. And so somewhere in the 90s, going into the 2000s, this tool was, was given to mankind where it connected all corners of the earth. It brought 
you know, modern knowledge and, and coupled it with ancient wisdom. Um, it allowed people to, uh, engage in new ways and, and it just became the world's greatest tool for information sharing for better or worse. And they realized like we have a very short window to achieve our new world order dystopian surveillance state, the prison planet. And so they wanted to use the internet to kind of usher that in. And we wanted to use it for the exact opposite to liberate mankind. And so there was like, like maybe like a five-year window where the internet was just like the wild west and unrestricted, which was awesome. Cause that was kind of right at the perfect time for me. Um, I'm 32 years old. And so, you know, high school and, and going into college, like just, I started to see the censorship set in, especially under Obama, he handed over ICANN to the United Nations. And then you just see like social media algorithms kick in. And then you see kind of the postmodernist, um, political correctness kind of start to grind down on that free speech. And, and of course with the Twitter files, right. We've seen how like the big tech has been infiltrated by uh, these, these deep state assets, et cetera. And so just to kind of finish that point, I was like the internet provided us with this amazing ability to this opportunity, I should say, to break free, to break the shackles, but then it became a race to the finish. It's this accelerated situation we're in right now where probably for the first time in many thousands of years, because I believe civilizations have risen and fallen so many times on this planet, that it's, it's, a, it's a closed system. The, the world is all connected again. And the, again, with the technology hitting that, that uh, asymptote where it's just taken off exponentially and then you've got these other things happening simultaneously, like the Pentagon admitting about uh, the, the presence of extraterrestrials and they're, they're leaking UFO videos left and right. And so there's like a lot of stuff kind of forcing us into whatever this next phase of uh, our species evolution is. And mm. then we've got, you know, the dawn of podcasting, which is like allowing us to combat the soundbite sensationalist narratives that the media puts out and actually flesh out ideas and dissect them and then get to know the, the people who are like the messengers of ideas and like question them and ask them real questions instead of just like softball questions. So there's just so many things going for the human race right now. And it's feeding into what you were saying about how like humanity is turning its attention. So the authoritarian lockdown of the last three years has just been another acceleration, another exponential um, click into higher gear. And I'm, I'm very optimistic. I'm hopeful that we're going to break through this time. Uh, there's a lot that you can pay attention to nowadays. And if you just get sucked into the black hole of negativity, World War III, Armageddon, yes, it's going to seem like the end is nigh. However, there's just so much going for us and people are waking up left and right. And what an exciting time to jump into that and become a node in the network and just share information. Hope you guys are enjoying this episode. Just want to quickly interlude to shout out some of our incredible members of our membership community, Friends of the Truth. Shout out to Anum, Yvette, Alexa, Tracy, and Brandon. Thank you so much for being part of our membership community. We're super grateful for your presence in there. 
And for anyone that's interested, you can head to friendswiththetruth.co to learn more about what I think is the best community of truth seekers anywhere on the internet. Back to the episode. Yeah, Adam, I totally understand um, what you're saying, man. And like one thing that I've observed also is that wherever there's instability or imbalance within our own psyches, it's then manifested externally for us to psychologically evolve to, to meet that and to grow. So when I think about the dark occult forces external, like they're practically a necessity that's calling us to grow and calling us to evolve. And I think with the rise of the internet, that's just expanded its reign of consciousness to, to, to evolve even further. Absolutely. Um, I think it was Solstrom Nitsen who said the, the line between good and evil runs through every man, woman, and child's heart, something to that effect. And so it's a decision. And it's not just a decision that you make one time and then you coast for the rest of your life. You're good. You chose the light side and now you can just transcend, ascend into a ball of light. It's, it's a daily practice, right? That's why they use the word practice with meditation, with devotionals. Um, we have to constantly wake up every day and, and remind ourselves why we, why we fight for truth, freedom, justice. And so that requires like a, a clean mind, a hygienic thought process and humility, uh, you know, a humbled ego. And, and so you can see how like things could go awry. Like before we, we got on, or maybe it was after we started recording, it's all about childhood. And, you know, the way that the, the dark occult work is they inflict trauma on all of us, but especially directed at the youth. And yes, there's the dark occultists who do that. But then I would say there's like almost like a secular kind of general population um, tendency towards that. And you see that just with bad parents or neglectful parents. And so we will never eradicate evil from this planet it's part of the human experience. It'll always be with us. And I don't believe in utopias. I believe in, you know, constant vigilance. And so we have to now be the link in the chain from one generation to the next of constantly beating this drum and reinforcing it because our children need to hear the message, our grandchildren and our descendants for all time, right? I think in a thousand years, just like we make these uh, fictitious depictions in Hollywood of like dystopian futures, that's the real possibility, even if we kick the Illuminati's butt today. And so just coming to that understanding that this is like an, this is an ongoing fight. And there's that expression, I'm sure you guys have heard this and I hope I get it right. It's strong men make good times, good times make weak men, weak men make hard times, hard times make strong men. And that's um, Strauss, how generational theory, that's the, the fourth turning that we're currently in. And it's just, and there'll be a fifth turning and there'll be a sixth turning. Let's not fool ourselves. That isn't to say that we can't make tremendous strides in fortifying society through technologies of governance or through, um, you know, promulgating certain ideologies that, that are about the individual and not about the collective about, as I said, as Jordan Peterson says, like cleaning, cleaning your room, starting with yourself. If we can get that so that it's like a, a part of, of what we constantly reinforce, then there's hope. Yeah. I love what you said. Cause it reminded me of, I mean, I don't know if it's just a paraphrase of that quote, the price of freedom is eternal vigilance, you know, and it's, it's, it's so true. It's so important. And, and even to relate it to what we're talking about psychologically, like 
you talk about vigilance. If you don't know the darkness within, if you don't know the evil that you're capable of, how can you be vigilant against it? You know, and it's like the more you know those the, the liar in you, the cheater in you, the, the the part of you that can manipulate, you're able to sniff it out in the real world way more than if you're like, no, I'm all good, or if you're just repressing all that aspects of you. Those are the people that get taken advantage of. Yeah. 100%. Um, there's certain things that we should really emphasize in education. Not that I believe in government-funded education or anything, but just whether it's homeschooling, whether it's part of a larger curriculum, we really need to emphasize studying history, right? That's a basic. But uh, peaceful parenting is a big one. Um, you know, looking, look, we can stand on the shoulders of giants. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. Nothing new is under the sun. And every thought that you have now, there were thinkers 5,000 years ago going down that same line of reasoning. And so these ideas are out there. We just need to continue to, to bang that drum. And I think, you know, understanding symbolism is probably a big one. Like if, if I were to write a curriculum for the future, I would have like um, symbolic literacy as a big part of that because that's one of those things that is a container or it's emblematic of ideas that get transmitted through time. We can look back at every culture throughout history and they've all had their symbols that meant different things to them, but there's through threads. And understanding that, speaking that language, right? Because those are trying to communicate things to you on a conscious or unconscious level. Understanding that language is a big leg up in the fight for freedom. And look, I'm sure there's many, but just off the top of my head, another big one would be studying cults, studying evil, studying serial killers. My wife and I are big on cult research and, and have been for about you know five, five, six years now. It's one of the main things that we study because there's a, there's a saying, and I don't know who said it, but it's basically something like the man who believes he is immune to that kind of cult-like attraction is actually a prime candidate for it. The second that you let your guard down, that's when it sets in. And so just like you brush your teeth every day, you should have in the back of your mind the kind of hallmarks of, um, uh, uh, of cult techniques. What does that look like? And just as a sidebar, I think the, the, the CIA had, through MK often, they studied, look, they penetrated different um, satanic covens, different religious groups, different, um, different cults, and a whole lot of different groups. And they understood that, okay, like this is the blueprint for how these cults operate, the slave-master relationship, what kind of people are drawn into cults, how do you entrain the mind from someone who's smart, someone who's educated, someone who possibly even had a peaceful, functional childhood? Everybody can be drawn if they let their guard down into that kind of cult-like mentality. And so if I can shout to the future and just say, yo, guys, in the future, study cults and never let your guard down because there are people who are actively trying to recruit. And I would say right now, we're looking at a global cult. It goes by different names, different descriptors, different labels, the, the woke kind of movement. It's, it's ultimately, it's just kind of like a postmodern communist kind of cult. 
And it's it's the destruction of beauty. It's the destruction of the family. It's the destruction of, it's the inversion of truth, right? My friend Jason Burmis describes Satanism as the inversion of truth. I think that's a pretty apropos definition. And those are the things that can totally invert a society from peaceful, literate, wholesome communities to an atomized world. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. I think I think studying cults is one side of the same coin of studying the self, right? Because very often what cults are preying on are the unconscious aspects of the self. And if one truly dives deep to, to know themselves, I think that's a pretty good form of immunity um, as well. I wanted to just highlight this, this Jung quote that came to mind, which I just found as well, which I think is super relevant. He says, the unconscious is not just evil by nature. It's also the source of the highest good. Not only dark, but also light. Not only bestial, semi-human and demonic, but superhuman, spiritual, and in the classical sense of the word divine. And I think this brings to mind one thing which man needs starkly to realize, in my opinion, is that what if evil is inherent to nature, right? What if, what if evil is just a part of nature, part of, part of reality? And, you know, for so long, we've been trying to disown, disconnect, and cut off from it which if we use the external as a macrosm of the internal, we know when we do that within our own psychology, those parts of ourselves become virile. They become toxic, right? They, 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 they start to act against the self. So, you know, just to, to wrap up and highlight the point that we've been making this whole time is that, you know, we need, we need to look within. We need to study and acknowledge the, the, the evil within because within that darkness, within the abyss, like Jung says, also contains the highest good. I would agree. Um, if I could just kind of pepper in my own musings sure. into this, uh, I, I often think about the catabolic anabolic cycle in nature, which is to say um, destruction and creation. And you mm. see that it at all layers of, of the, the at all layers of nature. And so you don't look at mold and say that that is evil because it's breaking down rotten, vegetable matter or, or like a tree or something, you don't criticize the mold for doing what it's evolved and programmed to do. It's, it's a force that's going to recycle energy, right? And so different cultures have different symbols. You have the yin yang, and that's basically a representation of good and evil of the masculine feminine of order chaos. You could put different principles on it, but it's the balance of two opposing forces that are complementary and create the whole. And so what would we be without evil? It's nice to think of only having, of only tasting sweetness for the rest of your life, but then you'd become desensitized to it. You wouldn't appreciate it anymore. Evil is a choice. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, if we're going to have free will guys, we're going to have evil and that's just, that's part of the game. If you want free will, if you don't want to be a programmed NPC in this sim-like simulation or something, then you're going to have the choice of good and evil. And that really just boils down to feeling empathy, empowering yourself with knowledge, and then acting on it, right? Yeah. Because I really think that intelligence and or, or, or knowledge, let's say, is is a fundamental part that gets left out of that equation. If I'm trying to do the best for my children and I'm, I'm ignorant on 
many things in the world. I haven't studied, for instance, vaccinations, right? Or fluoride or something. And I'm, I believe I'm doing good by my children, but I'm actually physically harming them by, by providing these things to them. Then there's a missing part of that equation and that's knowledge. And so if you want to do good in the world, you first need to set your mind on what it is. Um, I think Mark Passio says that it's, it's right thought, right emotion, right action. And so you could look at the, t- the cards of the tarot. You can look, there's depictions of this and there's metaphors for this in, in so many different ways. And, you know, you are the governor of your body. So I can harm my body by putting in foods that are not fit for it. But what does that do? It's going to create disease. It's going to create unwellness, could lead to cancer, premature death. I have now materially harmed my vehicle that contains my spirit, despite wanting to actually do the right thing. And so it comes down to a balance of, of knowledge of like, what do they say? Um, attention and intention, right? So you have to have that awareness of things. And that's where discernment comes in. And so there are technologies of thought called philosophies that you can actually study. You can learn about your own psychology, your own shortcomings, your own pitfalls, your own tendencies towards entropy and understand those. And then by acting on that knowledge, you're now going to be hopefully tending towards truth in a sustainable fashion. Well said, bro. Um, I kind of want to, and Joel, let me know if you're down. I want to kind of go into your film that you made suicided. Like what was your intention behind it? Can you talk a little bit about it? Certainly. Um, as I said earlier, when I started off uh, just compiling notes, one of the main things that stood out to me, I, I would say I had two primary focuses. The first being health, the second being human trafficking. And when you really peel back the layers of corruption in all of these institutions, there are these commonalities. And, you know, we talked about symbol literacy. One of the important um, things to work with and understand is pattern recognition. So when you start to see those patterns, you know, two, three, four in a row, you start to take notice. And now you, you're, the mind is now peaked towards a potential new discovery. So then you pay closer attention and then you start to pull on that thread. It's unsettling and uh, of course, and, and it should be. It's unnerving to think that the world is in some way, shape, or form, controlled, manipulated, influenced by these dark occultists who, if, if we are drawn towards the highest good, then they're drawn towards the worst evil. And what is that? What does that look like? We explore that in Dauntless Dialogue in several series, um, specifically, I should mention Abuse of Power, where we explore like wh- what is really at the bottom of, of that pit and we try to make it somewhat, you know, palatable so that you're not just going to go hide under your bed. But if you believe in goodness, you're going to listen to the, to the message, right? You're going to say, okay, 
there are things that are going to be unsettling. There are things that are going to cause fear, but I need to actually look at them. So you're, you're talking about the unconscious, right? This is one of the main um, themes that, that Jung put forward is that the unconscious really only becomes toxic when you don't look at it. If you don't take out the trash, your house is going to start to smell. And so for far too long, I think humanity, unfortunately, to our own uh, detriment, we have trusted, we've, we've placed trust in people who haven't earned it. There is this um, pageantry, this pomp, this uh, facade of you know, altruistic people in, in positions of power. And as time goes by, we see them gaining more and more and more power. And so they have to now actually prove to us that they are trustworthy, that they're worthy of that power. And I would say, let's just decentralize as much as possible. Let's take away uh, those pockets of power. So I'm pulling on this thread and I start to uncover this um, theme of human trafficking that seems to be at the bottom of everything. I started to compile my notes. And as, I, as I've made clear, this is really closely tied to politics. And that means there's individuals, right? Because evil isn't committed by groups, it's committed by individuals. And then that, on some macroscopic level, bubbles up to be a, a, a mob. But every action is taken by an individual. So then it's like, well, who's actually doing these things? And if, like, there's two trains of thought, either they're just totally in the shadows, we'll, we'll never learn their names, we'll never see them. They're, they're not famous <laughs> or, and maybe that's true. Maybe it's both or it's, these are people that we are familiar with. These are names that we've heard of. These are people who hold office. These are people who, you know, make policies. And I think fast forward to the present, you see those, those, those laws and those policies trending in a direction that's facilitating these crimes. That's normalizing these crimes. So it's like, well, then who is in that position of power that's actually pushing us in that direction? Suicided was an attempt to kind of open that door and start to answer those questions. Here in America, it's not a new story. You can go back as far as the, the Franklin scandal or earlier, and you see that individuals are what's called brownstoned. Brownstoning is a form of blackmail where you are caught in a position that's very compromising. Perhaps it's artificial. Perhaps it was contrived. You blacked out at a party. Someone took pictures of you, videoed you. Or perhaps you actually have one of these criminal proclivities and they have that dirt on you. One way or another, there are occult forces operating behind the scenes that leverage that against you all those skeletons in your closet. So you talk to some of the older, you know, the older generations, the boomer crowd, whatever, they're going to say, you know, things used to be good. And I would just say, well, it was illusory. Yes, there, there were good things objectively about America. And, and I, you know, I'm fighting for those good things and we all should. However, 
as we've seen with the Catholic Church, there was abuse, there was corruption, there was pedophilia, there were all these things going back 80, 90, 100 years or more. And I would just say it's, it's been with us since day one, right? Since day one as a species, you've had intelligence gathering apparatuses of a tribe or of a government or of a monarchy. You've had assassins. There are cult forces that move the pieces on the chessboard. Suicided attempts to look into that. And as, as you read, oops, sorry, I spit. As you read at the beginning of that episode, of this episode, um, General Flynn called suicided one of the most significant films in human history. I'm like, you can imagine when I saw that, I was like, come on. Why? That is a question everyone in your audience should ask. Like, why would someone who is a former general make such a statement? Is it hyperbolic? Is there merit to it? Why would he call that film one of the most significant in human history? We're obviously barreling towards some sort of portentous event in this country and on this planet. Everyone feels it. And so I would argue that a lot of these crimes and the evidence thereof are going to start to manifest in a more palpable way. And it's our duty to really pick up those rocks, dust them off, present them, and tell those stories. Because how we got here is a dark, dirty story, but it's integral to understand and to process as if you were trying to process your childhood trauma to become a better adult. We as a species need to transmute this trauma that has gotten us to the breaking point if we want to move into a better future. Totally, man. Um, you know, like choose to know, right? Re- reality is, you know, why, why would we close our eyes to, to any aspect of that landscape? You know, I would rather know um, what's actually going on, you know, in, in, in the same way, I, I consider a macroism of, of the unconscious like we spoke about, you know, or what I'm refusing to look without is probably rep- indicative of what I refuse yeah. to look at within. Yeah, it totally relates again to what I said before. If you mm-hmm. Or if you're open to these things, you know, the criminal history of the world, again, you're going to be, you're going to have a higher level of psychic immunity moving forward in your own life. 100%. It's imperative for all of us to work on ourselves. And then when you feel that you're like on sure footing and look, this, this work isn't for everyone. I'm not saying everyone needs to dive all the way to the bottom of, of this dark, murky pit. I am saying we all need to work on ourselves to prepare ourselves, work on your discernment, work on your gullibility, right? We don't want to be gullible. We don't want to fall for lies. Work on the things that are going to be, that are going to make you immune to, to falling for these, uh, these lies, these traps, these, these, this propaganda. And maybe instead of putting on like a football game, do an hour of research into the actual way society is operating. That's the best I could say is like, you don't need to devote your life to this, but if we all did a little bit extra, yeah, I mean, maybe we wouldn't be in this position. Yeah. So, um, you know, obviously there's lots of conspiracies around certain individuals, um, 
who were or apparently were, you know, trying to expose the child trafficking agenda. Does the film like get into that? You know, names that come to mind are Chester Bennington, um, Avicii, maybe, I don't know. Can you, can you speak to any of that? Yeah. Um, speaking broadly at first, I'll just say that growing up, um, from an early age, I was just trying to talk to my parents about these things, talk to my friends, my, my teammates, whatever. And the main pushback I would receive was if this was true, then where are the body bags? Or the other main thing is, yeah, but you know, people can't keep a secret. (laughs) And certainly the government, which is, they, they always go, well, look at the DMV, look how like inefficient that is. Certainly the government can't keep a secret, which I'm sorry, that is just juvenile thinking because everyone knows that there are evil people. If, if you can like actually comprehend how there are serial killers and mass murderers, now you might not be capable of that, but that doesn't mean that other people aren't capable of those things. Hmm. So if you can wrap your head around that, then you could understand how they would gravitate towards organized crime that the most ruthless among us would start to work together on some level. And if that's the case, you would find a trail of body bags. So doing Dauntless Dialogue, I've always felt that some of the most powerful arguments you can make or best evidence you can bear is to force people to look at at those body bags. And Suicided was the first one where we really started to go into that and it struck a chord. So we've made that a a through thread with our work. And gosh, like almost every episode I write now, I'm like, this guy was murdered. This guy was murdered. When you see enough of that, it starts to paint a clearer picture. So you're asking for specifics. Um, I would encourage everyone to go watch Suicided we sure. kind of tell some of these stories where there's uh, Chester Bennington, you mentioned, you know, he was the, I believe he was with Lincoln Park, right? And Chris mm-hmm. Cornell was with... Um, was it Odyssey? Yes. Yeah. I believe so. Mm-hmm. Forgive me. Because like, they were not like, I didn't grow up with those bands. So I know there's people who are like the diehard fans who are like just ripping their hair out. And I made that film many years ago. Mm-hmm. There are individuals who... You, you there's suspicious deaths and as a rational person when there's a suspicious death and the authorities immediately jump to the conclusion of suicide you just got to like pause and say like am i being told a cover up right now is this is this the cover story that i'm supposed to believe and where there's smoke there's fire and then again pattern recognition i'm going to i'm going to keep harping on that you start to see these, these patterns emerge. Um, Isaac Cappy. Isaac Cappy was a Hollywood, let's say, B-lister who started to live stream these confessions of an insider's perspective in Hollywood. Going, toward, going to these parties, um, hearing conversations, being approached in, in different manners. And then he starts naming names. 
the work that I do at Dauntless Dialogue, I've always felt it's safest to go with people who have been convicted or people who are no longer alive. The second you start naming names of people who have not been convicted, who are still out there, who are possibly like not yet outed as pedophiles or, you know, name the crime because it doesn't have to be pedophilia. That's perhaps one of the most dangerous. Um, there's a host of crimes that these individuals do, um, right? And so if you start naming names of people who have not yet been convicted, that's where you really cross that line. And I would say another primary focus with Dauntless Dialogue, and another thing that I'm very passionate about, and I hope it translates through my work, is not just telling the stories of, of the fallen victims but of the heroes. There are so many heroes who've blown the whistle. Um, when you get into this occult research, there's so many names of, of people who were the forebearers, who, who really warned the world and were ignored or you know, were taken out. You look at um, John DeCamp. We showed John DeCamp's story in Abuse of Power. Ted Gunderson. Um, or, you know, individuals like Fritz Springmeier, Bill Cooper, um, you know, uh, John Coleman. There were some really early ones who, Eustace Mullins, right? A lot of these guys really paved the way for what it is we're doing now. It's easy for us to take for granted, whatever you want to call it, the truth movement, conspiracy research, whatever it is that we're doing, whatever, you know, whatever we're taking part in the transmission of knowledge, the, 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 the sounding of the alarm, it's really easy for us to take for granted how easy it is now. And with the anonymity that's afforded to us by the internet, with the connectivity through the internet, with the ability to make your own website, publish your own books, all of these things are, are really like modern you know, advancements that a lot of these early guys just didn't have. They had to get up in public grab a microphone at a conference and stand there for hours and, and, and take the slings and arrows of the skeptics and really try to convince people. That's why I do documentaries. It is so easy to kind of lay out the evidence. You know, it's, it's, it's a medium that incorporates sound and, you know, video and, and visuals and documents. You can really make a very compelling piece to the point where you can flip the switch with somebody in like 20 minutes on a topic. And that's a powerful tool that we shouldn't, you know, just take for granted. So if you're not the type of person who's going to go speak at a conference or write several books on a topic and then like have to really push it just to get one or two people to listen, nowadays you just plug in your microphone, your keyboard, your camera, and you're in the fight. I want to tell those stories and honor those people the same way that we talk about, you know, the, the, the purple heart recipients of world war II. I want to tell the stories of this, the shadow warfare that we're in the fight for planet earth, which is gravely serious. And the deeper you go with your research, you realize like really what's at stake. And I, I'm, I mean, I'm at a point, I, fully 100% with everything, every fiber of my being, I understand that this is a fight for planet earth. 
And that's a conversation. Like you go to a party and you just want to talk politics with somebody and they're, they're thinking that this is about like the next four years or some policy or the school board. And, and that's a part of it. That's a small thread of it. But this is a fight for planet Earth. Like if you understand the new world order for what it is and how it operates with murder, with false flag events, by compromising the Oval Office, by compromising the mainstream media, by literally attempting and perhaps even succeeding, as we're now seeing, some form of a depopulation event. I used to talk about that stuff 15 years ago, and I would just get looks like people are like, what are you talking about? Do you depopulation, bro? What are you talking about? And then we see it actually happening. There's a lot of interesting evidence right now when you look at the statistics around excess mortality, that's 40 to 50% in a lot of countries where World War II was like 10%. And then you combine that with the alarming statistics of widespread miscarriages, widespread um, infertility, and you've got high school soccer players, high school football players dropping dead. It's alarming. I mean, it died suddenly. It's a fight for planet Earth. And the work that we're doing, not, not just on this dialogue, every, all of us in this fight, we are so integral to the future of this planet. You know what I mean? And they're going to look back on this war and it's not just going to be like the, the three years of the pandemic. I, I mean, we're talking about like, I mean, it's, it, it's coming to a head. So it's really, you can't put a, a date on it. I heard Ron Paul recently say like, you could, you could kind of put the, 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 the pin in, in the, you could mark the beginning of this coup around the, the assassination of JFK. Now you go back to the founding fathers and they were exchanging letters about the Illuminati, the Bavarian Illuminati. So it's, it's not just starting with JFK, but you bet your ass that this is like a planetary coup, a hostile takeover. And when you fundamentally accept that, I'm sorry, you just don't, you can't plug back into the matrix. Your life is fundamentally changed. Your worldview will never be the same. Your paradigm is now switched. And if you have a shred of a conscience, you're conscripted into the war. Um. Can you share for our audience, I understand you've created a film series called uh, Devolved. Um, What is Devolved and the devolution theory? In a nutshell, it's a continuity of government plan. Um, Devolution refers to this special type of continuity of government. It's not imaginary. Um, it's on the books. You can read military uh, war manuals. It's it's talked about. And the the film series, the five part film series, devolved was an adaptation that I did from an individual, John Harold. Uh, at the time, he he went by the pen name uh, Patel Patriot. He kind of got red pilled in a big way and with almost like an autistic focus, just started diving through every presidential memorandum, every executive order, every document, um, mainly around the Trump era, but preceding and, and succeeding that era, and kind of hypothesizing that what we're seeing unfold 
is not exactly what it seems at face value that Joe Biden didn't get 80 million votes and didn't just become the most popular president of all time and didn't just walk in and get the nuclear codes, but that there is a shadow war going on between white hats and, and this cabal. So I would encourage everyone, like if you want to get, like if you just want to get your, if you want to dip your toes in the water, start with my film series. But if you really want to absorb the breadth of, of the research, which is top-notch research, I mean, you don't have to agree with the conclusions. That doesn't change the fact that you should probably read it because I'll say this, that maybe this is the best pitch I can do. In all my years of research, when you study all these dark subjects, there is this ray of hope that you start to kind of see, again, pattern recognition. You start to see that there's, it's not just, it's not just that humanity is rolling over and that this uh, new world order cabal is just kind of taking over without any resistance. You really do start to see that there are, there's a shadow war between white hats and, and these, these dark hats. If that's true, if there's any truth to it, then I would encourage you to open your mind to the possibility that we're in fifth generational asymmetric narrative warfare. Alex Jones calls his company InfoWars. That's a perfect term for it, informational warfare. And that a lot of the things that you're seeing in the news cycle, when whenever you wake up and you're like, oh, dang, like, you know, Hunter Biden laptop, laptop pics got leaked. And you think of like, oh, that's a victory. And we get these, the Twitter files, like whatever it is, you get those little victories. Where did that come from? Is that entirely organic? Is that entirely coming just from, from random individuals making those decisions? Or is there some sort of pushback at opportune moments? To someone who, who's just uninitiated in this information, that sounds totally ridiculous. And I fully understand it. But go into the Devolve series, uh, into the Devolution series. You can go to devolution.link. That's John Harold's website. And you'll find that it's really top-notch research incorporating Benghazi, Spygate, Russiagate. Um, I mean, uh, the, the, the election interference. Um, tying a through thread through a lot of these things that just seem like disparate let's say moments in time, disparate conspiracies. And so I'm not one for hopium. I don't want to be lied to. If there's no hope, I'd rather accept that and I'll fight like hell defending that hill. But if there is some sort of hope to be had, I also want to know that too, because those are things that we can amplify, right? You want to amplify the, the signals intelligence and get that out. Like what I do with my documentaries, I, I try to make them uplifting at the end, right? You go down and you have your dark night of soul, and then you come back out on the other side and you feel uplifted. And what that does, well, it's the same reason wars used to march with drummer boys because it boosts the morale. And so you can spend your whole life fighting evil, unaware, oblivious, to some of the good things that are happening. But it's helpful to your morale to be aware of those good things. You know, I try to balance my work. I try to inspire. 
um, not for this, not just purely for the sake of inspiration, but because I believe there's truth to it. I do. Um, devolved. I, I did my best to kind of bring my flavor to it. I tried to take some hits at, at the Clinton crime family, at the Biden crime family, and to kind of um, defend Trump because the, the whole world's against him. And again, you don't have to agree with the conclusions, but continuity of government plans are true. They're factual. They're a thing. And they're... Can you dive deeper into that? Insight into what that is, continuity of government plans? For sure. Um, first, let me just say, the if you read the executive orders, the presidential memorandums, all these various things that uh, came out of the Trump era, you'll find that there was a push, like factually, a push for some of these continuity of government plans. Now, your audience might say, yeah, but it's failing. And that's fine. I will accept that. But for someone to dismiss without actually doing the research first, yeah. that a lot of these things were being pushed for, then that's you're just speaking on ignorance. And, and I'm sorry to be blunt. So you, you go through the research, you find that there, there is a strong push for what's called continuity of government. Um, now, there's, there's, there's various continuity of government plans. Um, many of them emerged from the 9-11 era. And just, I know your audience is totally like, you guys have a great audience. They're intelligent. They understand as I said a moment ago, like Jason Burmis's definition of Satanism is the inversion of truth. I think that our adversary takes things that we naturally want to believe in, and that's where they hide. They hide in the light. So you look at someone like John D. Rockefeller. What is he called? He's called a philanthropist, like Bill Gates. So they hide behind these terms. So out of the George W. Bush era, they were putting forward their continuity of government plans that I believe were their version of like, let's just all go down into our deep underground military bases, hardy har har, you know, we'll 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 do a nuclear holocaust on the planet or whatever, a pandemic, and you know, we'll emerge um unscathed. So I, I do think that they have their continuity of government plans. I would encourage your audience to actually go read Operation Locks, not Operation Locks Up. That was one scenario. What's the document called? It's called like Scenarios for Scenarios for the Future, something, something. It's from the Rockefeller Foundation. It came out in 2010. Mm. They put forward four scenarios um, for four, four hypothetical scenarios for the future. If you, yeah, if you can pull it up, that'd be awesome. One of them was Operation Lockstep, which was talking about basically the situation that we're in. They are, let me be very clear about this. That Rockefeller document is putting forward into the group mind. They're seeding this information out there. They're talking to each other. They're bypassing you and me because they know we don't read that stuff. But all these occultists... The, the, and I'm not just, I don't, I don't believe it's a monolith. It's various factions, various criminal syndicates working together loosely. They're reading what each other are putting out. 
rebuilding America's defenses, like from the, the project for a new American century was the document that, you know, called for 9-11. Did you read rebuilding America's defenses from the project for a new American century? No. Did anyone? No. They were reading it. And I believe operation, did, did you pull up that document? Yeah. Is it scenarios for the future of technology and, and international development? Bingo. That's a mouthful. So you'll forgive me for not remembering that title. Operation Lockstep and the other three scenarios, those are war games because we're at war. It's a shadow war. It's an information war. It's an asymmetrical narrative, fifth generation warfare. So they're, they're war gaming to each other. They're speaking in code to each other, but they're also speaking pretty overtly. If you read between the lines and you have discernment for, and as we said earlier, if you understand your adversary, you see it for what it is. To kind of, in my opinion, get us to karmically like accept it. If we put out our plans and there's no opposition, then we're karmically granted full control, full dominion over the what they believe. Um, so that that was a long tangent. Coming back to continuity of government plans, I believe that Operation Lockstep was an example of they're like, well, we're going to be running into some really rough times ahead as we try to clamp down on the world and create our globalist social credit depopulated Georgia Guidestone driven New World Order scenario we're going to run into a lot of revolution. So I think they knew that to bring out their new world order, they were going to get a lot of pushback. Well, if you read Operation Lockstep in that document, it talks about, I don't know if you have, uh, if you can, I think it's page, I think it's page eight. Um, I might be wrong. If you can, if you can just read the, the um, summary it's like one sentence, two sentences of what Operation Lockstep is. It says something about growing citizen pushback. Um, the version I pulled up was in Spanish because I'm in Mexico. And so. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> they talk about um, a, a system, I'm going to paraphrase, a system of tighter top-down control in a world of growing citizen pushback, something to that effect. Well, if you're a ruthless cabal, and you know you're going to get growing citizen pushback, you probably want continuity of government plans for your new world order. So that was a long explanation to just kind of lay out the context that this is not just a good thing. Continuity of government plans are a neutral way of staying in power. Why? Because if you study history, every government, every civilization has collapsed. And how is it that these dark occulted forces, they, they routinely stay in power. Yeah, just, I mean, you, you, you said it pretty clear. Um, a world of tighter, top-down government control and more authoritarian leadership with limited innovation and growing citizen pushback. That's insane. It says that on that document. Yep, yep, right. Yeah, and so, I mean, what they're saying to you is kind of what we were saying a moment ago. We've been talking a lot about the advent of the internet, the advent of digital cameras, 
cell phones, uh, uh, the fact that everyone has, I mean, don't, don't overlook the, the, the camera. That's the part of that phone. Yes, mm-hmm. you have the internet in your back pocket, but you've got a camera in your back pocket, which is something generations that came before us. I mean, I had like, a, my father had like a mini DV camera. No, no, I had a mini DV camera before the DSLRs. My father had a, a high eight camera. Remember those big, big uh, cassette tapes? Yeah. yeah. You couldn't fit that in your back pocket. So I'm digressing. Staying on the point of government, uh, of continuity of government plans, it's a neutral thing. They exist. Accept that and then go into it a little deeper. If there are white hats, they would probably have their form of it too. Would they not? Would they also try to, especially if they're going to collapse the banking system, and especially if they're going to unleash viruses or whatever, poison the water supply, if they're going to do these things and just grind the, 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 the lower class, the, the middle class into just complete destitution and, and poverty, if they're going to do that, there's going to be revolution. That's, that's a pattern through history. Now, they want us all to just kind of be grinded into a fine powder. But that comes with revolutionaries. So I've probably explained that too much. I've overstated it. But I I think it's important for our conversation for people to understand continuity of government plans are neutral. They're employed by both sides. They're not a new thing. And there's very clear evidence that the Trump administration was attempting to to put its own into, into, into play. You could say you don't trust the Trump administration. That's fine. You could say you think that maybe you do trust them, but you think that they were unsuccessful. That's fine too. Well, the the the, the biggest pushback you're going to get, if I can, you know, reach into the collective for a second, is why is this guy scrambling so hard to be known as the father of the vaccine, right? Why is he pushing that left, right, and center? I created it. I got it out first. You know, I was the one. I'm the father. Give me that title. Operation Warp Speed. Um, I fully, I fully agree. So I'm not here to defend any one thing that mm-hmm. he has done. I can attempt to hypothesize. Yeah. And when you look at what he did, so he said not once, but a few times, get the vaccine. And he took credit for it. He really asserted himself to take credit for it. What he did was, right, because the, the, the Illuminati, they want to be the saviors. If you go back and you listen to Sfali's, uh, the Sfali material, S-V-A-L-I, from circa 2001, she was an Illuminati defector, and she talked about how they really wanted to emerge from the shadows. They don't want to be obscure and anonymous forever. They want to emerge and rule overtly, not covertly. And she put that number around the year 2050, but she also admitted that it was being accelerated and that she was hearing other murmurs that it was going to be closer to 2030. And of course, Agenda 2030 is, you know, the United Nations push for for a lot of this. Um, And if you go back and and you listen to the, the warnings of an individual like Phil Schneider, who in 1996 was saying they wanted to do it by the year 2029, 2029, 2030. I think we're on track for that. I think, I think that's a pretty accurate timeline. I think 2030 is the goal. And 
Um, so, so to make that point, they want to be overtly controlling us, but they want it to be like, they're the saviors, right? <laughs> like the, the antichrist wants to be revered and worshiped. And so they've done their best to, to destroy the planet and, and, and destroy the ecology of the planet, the oceans, the forests, the air, the water, so that they can emerge and be like, we cleaned it up. We brought the, the, the earth back from the brink. It's like, you guys are the sociopaths that brought it to the brink with your Monsanto and your whatever. You guys are the ones that brought it there in the first place. Let's not forget that. So you're not saviors of anything. They immediately, when Trump started taking credit for it, they immediately went on the record importantly and said, no, 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 we are the ones that you should be thanking for this. We are the creators. We are, we should deserve all the credit. Now, I'm not apologizing for anything like that that Trump did that I disagree with fundamentally because I'm the most anti-vax person on the planet. I will, however, say that if you're attempting to make a legal case where everything is on the record, it's important to get your adversary to tie his own news. John Harold, um, <clears throat> author of the Devolution series that we were just talking about, <clears throat> excuse me, he did a poll. He's got a large audience. Like he got 100,000 something people to vote on this poll. Now, most polls, uh, like Rasmussen and, and, and others, they get like 2,000 people and it's st- statistically significant. So 100,000 people is very significant, albeit it's a conspiracy crowd. It's like a, it's like a, a MAGA crowd, pretty much. Patriot um, crowd. Patriot crowd, which is important for the nature of the poll. So that doesn't undermine it. I would say it it fortifies it. His question, his line of questions were something like, if you voted for Trump, if you support Trump, did his message advocating for the vaccine, did he change your mind? And it was like 99% said no. There were a few other questions that he asked. Um, So I... I don't think that him, I don't think Trump was affecting his base. I think that we are, look, a moment ago, I said that this is a fight for planet Earth. It's information warfare. Now, if you look up fifth generational warfare in, in uh, there's, a, there's a military document, the 2018, um, 2018, um, uh, annex for war. I think it's called something like that. It's in the devolve series. They talk about how fifth generational warfare, um, is typified by optics. So if you win the optics game, you're winning the war, right? So a lot of, again, going back to a lot of these victories that we're getting lately, it's changing the conversation. Is it not? So if that's the case, then, then, then that's like storming the battlefield. That's like storming the hill and taking, taking the land in, in battle, except it's information. It's opinions that you're winning. There is a cohort. You know this. I know this. It sickens our stomach, turns our stomach to think about this. There is a cohort of people on this planet who cannot who refuse to be, let's call it awakened, red-pilled, who refuse to look at 
truthful information, who refuse to change their biases, refuse to change their, their minds. In war, there are casualties. It makes me sick to my stomach that there are people who, no matter how much information we put out, they will they'll line up and get those vaccines or whatever. One more time, I'm not apologizing for or, or, or justifying anything Trump did or said that I disagree with. I'm trying to understand it. And I would implore your audience to kind of do the same. What could have been a reasoning for some of those things? Deep, man. It's very, very, very deep. <laughs> That's for sure. But, you know, the, the thing is, you know, when one's critically thinking, like at the same time, like, you know, face value is important. So this kind of changes the dynamics of, of reasoning altogether to an extent as well. 100%. Look, your enemy is lying to you day in, day in, day in, day out. They are lying to you. And there's a word I, I learned recently. I think it's abulia. I think it's A-B-U-L-I-A. And it's, it's this confusion that sets in amidst too much information, misinformation, disinformation. It, it creates a paralysis in your actions, a paralysis in your decisions. And that's why there's this phrase, fog of war. There's, so, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a glut of information that we just cannot keep up with. So if you're like me, if you guys, I'm sure you do just tons of research, you have to exercise your inner faculties of discernment. You cannot take everything at face value. No, good sure. from the good side and from the bad side. Trump was asked point blank to disavow. QAnon was asked point blank about other things. And I think he played coy. Said he didn't even know about it. Okay, so that that's definitely a lie. Now he could say that it's not him, and and maybe that's true. But to say that like you're the president of the United States and you've never heard about QAnon, you know nothing about it. That's the exact quote: is you know nothing about it. Then you know that you can't take it at face value. So you know that both sides are are smoking the water, are are inking the water. I should say. So. <sighs> It's imperative for all of us to just come into this and just say, "Look, I don't know who to believe. I'm going to go with I'm going to go with protecting myself, protecting my family, affecting the the small little circle of influence that I have, and doing my best to kind of understand our place in history. That if this is a a fight for the planet, if there is a depopulation event occurring, if if we are on the total brink." of like a lit, not like, not like some fictional scenario, a literal planetary takeover. What if that fear is being magnified and leveraged to control as well? What if, what if, what if none of that's really taking place and both sides are just leveraging this, uh, this apocalyptic scenario to keep people stuck into the divide game, to keep them stuck into the left and right? Like if there was a true white hat regime doing the best for humanity, wouldn't they want to reduce government? Wouldn't they want people to stop externalizing and projecting onto, onto leaders and politicians, whether it's Trump or White Hats or anyone else? Wouldn't, wouldn't they be saying, go find your own power internally? You know, so this is, I'm just popping questions at you to, to see what comes back. That's all. Definitely. Um, I, I love where you're coming from. 
So um, I, I think that we're, we're kind of leading up to where the bubble's going to burst. Mm. And I think understanding that is to kind of get your bearings on where we're at. Um, the, there's there's going to, there's especially in information warfare, there's just going to be an exchange of bullshit. Pardon my expression. And I, and I, yeah, I mean, there, there's people putting good information out there that are in politics. Um, I don't think any of them are perfect. Yeah. I've, I've heard arguments like against Rand Paul, uh, although I like a lot of the stuff he's doing. Uh, there, there's a lot, I, I could name several people in politics. I like what they're doing. Mm. Um, but I also understand that I'm not looking to politicians to, to say, I don't think there is a savior. Uh, I think that, frankly, I think that the three of us know way more than just about anybody in government right now. Um, you know, maybe there's like white hats and special operations and stuff that have like access to classified information, documents, surveillance, things that we don't have. But I think putting the big picture together is, is really, it's, it's like a devotional craft. It's the same way that you, you hear about these yogis that spend a lifetime in meditation. We're doing a form of that. We're doing a form of that. We're, we're, we're constantly exercising the self-control necessary to not be overcome by fear and to look at the world for what it is and then to transmute that and to, to emerge as leaders, healers, teachers. And, and that's where the change is going to happen. It's not going to come from, look, I don't, I don't even, I don't even, I'm a fan of Trump, but I don't even think that he's like as great as a lot of people make him out to be in this movement who worship him. I just think that he was a, a, a placeholder for the machinations of this war. And when you look at it like that, you go, he's no different than you and me. And we've all got our, our, our faults and our foibles. And we're all, as we said at the beginning of the podcast, tempted towards evil, tempted towards good, whatever. There's, there's no external savior. We are the saviors we've been waiting for. And I think taking that power starts with just, again, attention and intention. Yeah. Like Trump printed more money than Obama. Yep. Well, where did he put that money though? So, so, I mean, it, just to, just to knock it back, if you look mm-hmm. at the NDAA, we go through this in devolved. If you look at the NDAA, uh, not the, yeah, the NDAA 2020 and 2021, uh, those two years specifically, um, he fortified the military, specifically special operations. Now, if you're going to be fighting a shadow war and you're going to be signing these omnibus spending bills and, and you're going to be, you know, trying to allocate that where it needs to go. And you, I think it was like something like a trillion dollars going towards um, the military and, and the largest. Now, a lot of that went towards like rebuilding the military that Obama had, had dismantled. If we're fighting a new world order, yes, this is important what we're doing right now, podcasting, making documentaries, information, but that's not going to stop um, some, some government goon from kicking in my door some black helicopter from, from landing in my backyard. It's not going to stop that. The, the military is the only thing that can, in my opinion, fundamentally beat the new world order. Um, Obama had, had stripped it, right? They're, they're, they're trying to make us roll over for China. And so I think that there was a certain amount of rebuilding restoration that had to take place. I also think that you can make a, 
a sound argument. You don't have to agree with this, mm-hmm. but I think that you can make a sound argument that operation warp speed and all of the various parts of that are accelerating things because they want to slowly trot this out. There was, um, if you listen to General Flynn, he talked about this and, and others have too, that there, there was a 16-year plan that they had um, intercepted intelligence on that uh, it was supposed to be Hillary in 2016 and that Obama and, and Hillary, the 16 years um, back-to-back, were really going to be the final nail in the coffin for the republic. If that's true, I'm not saying it is. I mean, I, I certainly think that it is. If that's true, then this was a, an end and, and if you look at um, that document that you just read with Operation Lockstep, they're talking about 10 years of pandemics, 10 years of open borders, 10, 10 years of demographic replacement, and 10 years of, there's a third one, um, 10 years of just totally changing the world in the most profound of ways to break down any semblance of community, any semblance of nuclear family, any any vestiges of freedom, of, of, of militias. If that was the, the plan was to tr- slowly trot this out, then you don't have to agree. But Operation Warp Speed could have been an acceleration of that, putting the, the, the foot on the pedal to really red pill people to kind of contribute to this great awakening where it's happening at such an accelerated rate right now. It's undeniable that people are just like snapping out of their slumber and they're, they're waking up to the boot on the neck. And I think no matter how many people wake up, we're still going to need the greatest fighting force in, in human history, which is the U.S. military. Now, you could say that it's being wokeified and it's being um, radicalized. And I would really definitely, if that's like your, your biggest hangup, I would definitely encourage you to read in full um, John Harold's Devolution series because I was going to say this earlier and I, and I totally got sidetracked. The, the, I had a big blind spot. No matter how deep down the rabbit hole I went, I was like so anti-war and so anti-big government that I, that I never even looked at like what our military is all about, the structure of it, how it works, how it operates, how uh, special operations are, are conducted. And uh, thanks to the Devolution Series, it, it opened my eyes to a whole other world that frankly... I think the conspiracy movement, the truth movement, whatever you want to call it, has turned a gigantic blind eye to. And it's interesting because it's it's very parallel to all of these other conspiracies. So if we can just kind of say like, in general, this kind of new world order takeover, if that's all you study and you don't study that there could be um, this pushback and what that would look like and how it would work and how there could be hope then it's easy to dismiss. And so looking into like the military and all that stuff um, has made me more patriotic than ever before because I realized like there's way more checks and balances than I would have assumed, especially being the, the conspiracy paranoid guy that I am. I would have just been like, there's no freaking way. Um, so so that, that, that's, that's kind of my, my take on it. I, I, I hear you, man. And, uh, you know, I, I totally respect it. Um... You know, it's very, very, very interesting to think about and, and consider. That's for sure, man. And, you know, I encourage everyone to have not necessarily an open mind, but an active mind. You know, be willing to think things through properly, read all the material, look at both sides and, and form your own conclusions without closing off to either of them. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I appreciate the perspective. That's for sure. 
100%. I, I will just uh, back you up and just say, I encourage everyone to fundamentally doubt what I'm saying um, as we should, maybe not, maybe not overtly doubt, but take everything I'm saying with a healthy amount of skepticism. Mm-hmm. Take anything anyone says with skepticism and just do your own research. Yeah. That's it. Adam, man, you know, uh, pretty much at the time limit now, dude, it's been such a pleasure to host you, you know, um, such a diverse range um, of, of knowledge that you hold and the way you articulate it um, is something that I'm sure our audience will get a lot and a lot of value out of. Do you have like a, before we get into how they can find you, I mean, how they can support your work, do you have like a final kind of message for anyone listening? Yes. Thank you for asking. Um, I would say to your audience, everything that you need is within you. Yes, there's research to be done. There, there, there's information that's external to you. Everything you fundamentally need to survive this war is within you. Everything you, you fundamentally need to, to be a good person is within you. Those answers are, are dormant within you and they just need to be uh, excavated, polished, and refined. There's reason to be hopeful. As much as I'm probably the guy who just like makes documentaries about the darkest stuff on the internet, take it from me. There's a lot to be hopeful for, a lot to be optimistic. There's so much beauty. There's so much tranquility out there. And it's in times of universal deceit where just being, being a calming voice can, can make the most profound change in people's lives. I'm not one of those people that says you need to go rah, rah, sis, boom, bah, and, 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 and wake everyone up around you. I think that you should practice maybe the 10% rule. Tell them 10% of what you want to tell them. Gauge their energy. If they're leaning forward and they want more, give them a little bit more. But you, it's, it's not, it's not gonna, you're not going to get anywhere by, by shoving this in people's faces. I think, you know, the, study the mystics, study, study the greats, read the philosophers. And once you absorb all that, you'll find an inner peace and you'll carry that light with you. And you'll just be a force for good just by virtue of of holding space. Hmm. Well said, brother. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's definitely great to connect with you. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Likewise. Absolutely, man. And what's the, what's the best way um, that our audience can support your work and where can you direct them to, to get more of it? Dauntlessdialogue.com. D-A-U-N-T-L-E-S-S. Dauntlessdialogue.com. Awesome. Guys, um, go check it out. Um, Adam's an incredible individual doing awesome work out there and I'm looking forward into diving diving into some of his films myself we hope you've enjoyed this episode and we'll see you next time take care smoke and mirrors I'm seeing through the illusion waking up in a time they think you're in a delusion somebody set the alarms cause they be too busy snoozing I'm in a DeLorean fast forward in evolution to a place where we can share our confusions yeah 450 BC I'm sharing tea with